With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. You know who was not in the zone? The U.S. men's soccer team. If you remember yesterday, if you listened to the show, when Eddie Garcia was coming in for updates, I was pretty confident that the U.S. was going to lock up a spot in the World Cup with a win or a tie over Trinidad and Tobago last night. And so... I put it on at, I think it was 7, 8 o'clock Eastern. I searched out B-E-I-N, the network, put on the game, kicked back. U.S. gets down 2 nothing. Worst of all, the other two games that are going on at a simultaneous time are working against the U.S. too. With about five minutes to go, suddenly things get disastrous. And the result is the U.S. is not going to be in the World Cup for the first time since 1986. Now, I'm actually curious of everybody out there listening right now. I'm going to open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. I understand soccer is still somewhat of a niche sport, that the younger you are and uh, the more you are listening, the more likely you are to care. Soccer, ironically, is probably the number one sport in America now where people feel compelled to say, oh, I hate it. I hate soccer. Why do you have to talk about it? It sucks. Um, And I always find it interesting when you complain about something that you don't like because in this day and age when there's so much that I do like, if I don't like something, I just don't pay attention to it. Anti-soccer guy is obsessed with being anti-soccer. I hate soccer. Soccer sucks. Oh, nobody cares about soccer. Well, it's growing every year in the United States. They've drawn 70,000 people down to Atlanta for the new uh, new MLS team there. Seattle draws massive crowds. MLS outdraws the NHL on a per-game average basis. And uh, it's continuing to grow. I do believe, though, that this is disastrous for U.S. soccer to miss the World Cup for the first time since 1986. And in the wake of that defeat I got so many dumb things sent to me that I thought we need to have almost a tutorial just to avoid you guys looking like idiots when it comes to soccer and the number one thing that I get every time I mention soccer is an obsession out there with people saying well if the U.S. cared we would be the best in the world at soccer if our best athletes played We would be the best in the world in soccer. And you guys who say that are so effing stupid that I thought I needed to address you directly and try to avoid you looking so stupid. That's my goal in many respects. Try to get my listeners not to sound or look as stupid as they otherwise might. Soccer, our issue. I want you to write this on your brain. I want you to tattoo it. I want you to never tweet Facebook or say this aloud again. 
Soccer's issue in America is not our lack of athletes. Okay? There's an obsession with people out there who say, well, if Odell Beckham Jr. played soccer, we'd win the World Cup. If LeBron James played soccer, we'd win the World Cup. That's a fundamental fallacy and evidence of how little people understand soccer in America. Soccer is more of a skill than it is an athletic event. Let me explain. Golf and tennis. Soccer has more in common with both of those sports than it does with track. Raw athletes win track meets. Are you faster? Can you jump higher? Doesn't mean that you don't work hard if you are a raw athlete and you are a sprinter or you are a jumper or you're a long jumper or you're a high jumper. All those things are the very foundation of basic athleticism, running and jumping. If you watch the United States men's soccer team play, where we fail in comparison to other top teams is not in how fast our guys can run. It's not in how strong our guys are. It's not in how high our guys can jump. It's in technical skills. We don't pass the ball well. We don't possess it well. We don't create intelligent, smart, flowing soccer. And I think one reason for that that's probably the most paramount is that despite the fact that they are socialist countries that supposedly are incredibly friendly and try to avoid being tough on their citizens, Europe in particular is brutally capitalistic when it comes to creating soccer stars. They take the best players in their countries at six years old they put them into soccer academies, and they continue to kick, to kick people out if they aren't good enough and winnow the field of the best players such that by the time their players are 16, 17, and 18 years old, they have had millions of more additional training opportunities as soccer players than we have. It's not because other countries have their best athletes playing soccer. Even in Trinidad and Tobago, the most popular sport is not soccer. It's cricket. They have 1.3 million people there. That's a city small that, – that we basically lost as America to a city the size of Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. We have 323 million people. Lack of athletes is not our issue. We have enough people playing soccer now – to win the World Cup. Our issue is lack of skill. And so if you're sitting around out there arguing that our best athletes just need to be playing soccer and that's the reason why we lose, it's a peculiar jingoistic American belief that we're the best, but we just don't care. It's stupid. The reason why we're not the best is because our development of players lags substantially behind top European teams and top Latin American teams. Watch the way they possess the ball. Watch the way they pass it. Interestingly, European teams are all about everybody being great at everything. And it runs counter to the way that America trains athletes. Let me explain that theory. Okay? 877-996-6369. Let me explain. If you watch Europeans play basketball, and this is actually becoming the way that Americans play basketball now, too. Europeans train their athletes how to play basketball like they train their athletes how to play soccer. Everybody at every position can do everything. In other words, if you're a defense, defender in soccer or a midfielder or a scorer, the most integral ability you have is the ability to pass Field, uh, field passes, play seamlessly within the overall offensive flow. A defender can make a run to become a goal scorer. A midfielder can become a defender or become a goal scorer. It's a seamless, effortless, beautiful transition where everybody can play every position and everybody has equal skill level. That's how Europeans play basketball, too. We used to make fun of the big Euro, the Dirk Nowitzki who came over here and was seven foot tall 
and could step outside and drain a three. The stretch four position in basketball is a Euro invention. We create in America basketball and we train like it's football. Here's the center. He's going to do this. Here is the power forward. He's going to do this. Here's the point guard. Here's the shooting guard. Here's the small forward. And we train them all discreetly to play unique positions. In Europe, the assumption is one through five should be seamless. Everybody should be able to pass. Everybody should be able to shoot. And the result is Europeans play a much more beautiful version of basketball than us. And they also play a more beautiful version of soccer. In America, our sports are designed to be dominated by athletes who don't necessarily have to be incredibly skilled at those sports and play them their entire life. Let me explain. How often do you hear of an, uh, a foreign athlete who comes over here and becomes a really good football player? Ziggy Ansah is a great example, right? Guy who never played, Jason Pierre-Paul, guy who rarely, if ever, played in the NFL, comes over here as a foreign exchange student. Guys in the high school say, man, this guy looks like a really good athlete. They put him on the football field, and he turns into a professional athlete in that sport. How is that possible? Because football, you have a discrete responsibility, and your skill level doesn't have to translate everywhere. Interestingly, all those guys just about grew up playing soccer in other disciplines, other other countries, which is how they became so good with their footwork. But you could put a Jason Pierre-Paul at defensive end and say, hey, The defensive end position is not that complicated. You don't have to have played it your entire life in order to be able to line up and go get the quarterback. As a result, Americans think about sports from a football context, which is, hey, find a great athlete, plug him into a position, you can teach him how to become a professional. In America, if we send kids overseas and they go to Portugal or they go to Spain, or they go to Brazil, even if they are the greatest athlete in America, they don't show up in those countries, suddenly get plugged in to play soccer, and become all-stars at them. There are lots of Hakeem Olajuwans, guys who grew up with great footwork playing soccer who weren't good enough to play high-level soccer that have become incredible athletes in basketball and football, the quintessential American sports. The reason why they're able to do that is because there are discrete talents associated with those sports. You don't have to have started playing basketball at five years old in order to be great. But you would. Hakeem Olajuwon can become an NBA player even though he didn't play growing up. Hakeem Olajuwon could not become a golfer or a tennis player because in order to be great at those sports, you have to start training at them at a young age. Why? because they're as much a skill as they are a sport. People watch soccer, and they see guys running up and down the field, and they see sprinting, and they see goal scoring, and they think, oh, that's a naturally athletic sport. We need more athletes to play. That's a backwards way of thinking that reflects total idiocy. When you watch American soccer players compete against top teams from other countries, What stands out is not our lack of speed or our lack of strength or our lack of raw athleticism. Our athletes are the equal of everybody else's athletes in the country when it comes to soccer. Our issue is skill. The best player in the world right now is Lionel Messi, and he's 5'7 and 160 pounds. You don't have to be particularly strong or particularly brutish when it comes to your overall physical ability to be the greatest soccer player in the world. LeBron James, unless he could play goalie, would be unable to play pro soccer because he's too big. Maybe there are guys out there, the Russell Westbrooks of the world, that could be great soccer players, but only if they were identified at five or six years old and put into a soccer academy and became experts in all the technical subtleties of soccer. I'm sharing this because arguing that America's top athletes not playing soccer is the reason we are not good is literally the dumbest argument I hear 
otherwise intelligent people make about sports on a regular basis. Anybody who makes that argument, you should turn to them and say, you're an idiot. And if you want an example in the football context, even more so than what I just said, how dumb would you sound if you were watching a football game and you turned to your friend and you said, you know what, we need more better quarterbacks in the NFL. I wish LeBron James had grown up to be a quarterback instead of a basketball player. Right? Even if LeBron James had started training at five years old, he might not be a very good quarterback. We don't know how great his arm is. We don't know about his ability to scan the field. We don't know about his ability to stand in the pocket and take a hit. We don't know how quickly he would process what he sees on the field. You understand that the quarterback position is also a requirement of high level of skill. And LeBron James, you couldn't just turn into an incredible quarterback by trying to train him to be an incredible quarterback. Athleticism is not the difference. Now, could LeBron James be an incredible tight end in the NBA or wide receiver, uh, sorry, in the NFL, an incredible tight end if he were able to take hits? Yes. Could he potentially be an incredible wide receiver? Yes. Could he be a great left tackle? Imagine LeBron James blocking. Would anybody ever get around him? Could he be a great defensive end? Yes. All of those things are possible because they're discrete individual talents. Hey, LeBron James, go run this route. Hey, LeBron James, go line up here. Keep this guy from getting to the quarterback. Hey, LeBron, how about you try to get to the quarterback here? Be a great defensive end. Those are discrete individual talents that someone can pick up at the age of 16, 17, or 18, even though they might not have spent their life doing it. Soccer is different. You have to get millions of reps at fielding a ball in the air, just like you have to get millions of reps at hitting a drop shot in tennis or getting used to the finesse required to hit a great 120-yard approach shot up a, over an island, uh, you know, an island green at the Players' Championship. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Uh, we have got, uh, got our guy now who we bring in, and this actually also sucks for the casinos and for the offshores and for the gambling markets in general. John Campbell, this is a shocking result. But the amount being wagered on the World Cup was growing every World Cup. I know in 2014, there was a ton of money wagered on the U.S. and other matches because people just love to gamble on these, especially when the summer when there's not a lot of other things going on. This is a big hit to the casinos and a big hit to the offshores, too, that the U.S. is not going to be in the World Cup, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure, and, and certainly the most bet event in the world, and uh, and there's quite a bit of spinoff from it. Las Vegas casinos started taking action on some of the other European um, leagues around the world, and, and it really increased their action. Yeah, a, a good stat out there. People say, oh, you know, nobody cares about soccer. Well, 26 million people watched the World Cup final last year. Uh, I mean, sorry, the last time it was played, the U.S. men uh, were obviously not anywhere near the World Cup final but still 26 million people watched. And so this is still going to be a massive television event, but certainly Fox takes it on the chin in a big way, not being able to air at a minimum three U.S. men's team games to see whether they would make it out of group play. There are 32 countries that advance to the World Cup right now, and the U.S. not being able to qualify, especially in our region, is really a colossal failure on an epic scale. Uh, given the circumstances, to not pull this off. All right, let's pivot a little bit. You have been on an absolute roll in college football. I am, on the other hand, exactly at 50%. What games do you like this weekend? It's kind of a dead weekend. There are no games involving two top 25 teams, I believe that's correct. Who do you like? What games are you paying the most attention to? Yeah, kind of a weird week where it's not a great week this deep in the season. But uh, but Auburn's one I like here, minus seven at LSU. I, I just think LSU is is a bit of a mess right now. 
and uh, terrible at the quarterback position. I think they were lucky to scrape by Florida last week, even though I was on them. And uh, and, and Auburn's just getting better every week, especially on offense. So so that's one I like, minus seven. I like Wisconsin to blow out Purdue. Purdue's been a bit of a darling for teams, and I've been on or for for sharp betters, and I've been on them this year too. But I, I just think Wisconsin's better all over the field. They can get to the quarterback, and that's another one where where I really like them to win big. When you look at a team like Auburn, and I agree with you, they've scored 40 or more in three straight weeks for the first time in the history of their tenure in the SEC going all the way back to 1933. What, how do you assess a team that seems like they're getting on a roll when it comes to power numbers? Because I've been betting Auburn too, and I've got them this weekend against LSU as well. But I think that's always a challenge for gamblers out there because – Teams can get hot and get better as the season progresses. How do you look at them from the power number perspective when something like that happens? Well, it's college more than anything, and this is why I love college. It's why some don't like it, but there, there's actually a lot of feel involved, in, and you can use your numbers, but these college kids get significantly better from week one or worse. to week seven. Or, or worse, exactly, or worse. And you have to be able to handicap that. And a big part of that is just experience, knowing teams, coaching is a big, a big part of it. And Auburn was waiting for Stidham to, to kind of get better, and they gave him time to do that. He's playing his best his best uh, football the last three weeks, and, and they're scoring because of it. So you have to kind of subjectively give them a little more value. And, and uh, I think Alabama's got an eye on these guys. This is shaping up to be a good end of the season. Alabama's almost even money right now to win the national title. I think I saw you tweet out from Odd Shark that they're plus 120. How prohibitive of a favorite is Bama? What about Clemson? Who else do you like out there in the futures market where you think, yeah, this team could make sense? Yeah, well, Alabama's certainly too prohibitive. You don't want to be laying plus 120, uh, especially with, with the good competition here. Uh, there are a few teams. Clemson second, around four to one. Ohio State's back up to third again after killing Maryland last week. I don't think they're fooling anyone anymore. But uh, Georgia's eighteen to one. Uh, Alabama's still going to have to get through them. Uh, Washington and Washington State are two teams that that uh, it could cause them trouble. Auburn's thirty three to one, and that could be a great game at the end of the year here. So I think there's a lot of value on the board here, uh, and I think you're not to pick Alabama at plus one twenty. NFL teams this is a fascinating stat you sent me. NFL teams playing on added rest are ten and zero against the spread this season. Uh, explain what that means by added rest. You mean teams that played on Thursday coming back and getting to play on Sunday uh, or teams that are playing that, uh, I mean, that's an amazing stat, right? Basically, you can bet the teams that played on Thursday with extra time to recover and feel pretty good about their performance. Yeah, absolutely. They're 10-0 and against the spread this season on, on added rest, and, and now we're getting into bye weeks. So we have six teams this week that are in that spot playing on, on added rest. And the line moved up with all of them. They're all favored, and the line moved up with all of them. So this is certainly a trend that, that the early money is taking really seriously and something you want to keep an eye because because it might overcorrect, and I think it probably will with some of these games. The line will go up a little bit too high. What else stands out to you in the NFL? We're now moving up on week six, moving past a third of the way through the season. Who do you like to bet on this weekend? Who has kind of impressed you so far in terms of teams that you feel are reliably good bets? Um, reliably, that is tough this year in the NFL, and I know a lot of people are having a tough time in the NFL this year, but I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think I really like the Browns this week, plus 10 uh, against Houston, who's lost its top three defensive players, and 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 this is a defensive-based team. So I like Cleveland getting double digits at Houston. I like Detroit. They're going up against the New Orleans team in that added rest spot. They, uh, New Orleans open minus three. Now the line's up to Detroit plus five. I like the lines there, too. And one other note uh, to, to watch here, when teams – go to London the week before uh, they they don't cover the spread at 66%. So if you fade them, you cover at 66%. And Jacksonville's in that spot here this week. They're minus, or the Rams are, I'm sorry, against uh, Jacksonville. So I like Jacksonville minus two and a half going up against a Rams team that's going to London next week. Adrian Peterson gets traded. We get lots of questions about big-time stars moving in the NFL 
anything at all change for the Cardinals or the Saints with Adrian Peterson being shipped? No, uh, nothing's changed here. And I think this is just a, a desperation move for the Cardinals. They they lost uh, Johnson, and, and he's just one of the few running backs who makes a huge difference in the NFL. And I think the Cardinals are, are a little bit lost right now. I think this is a bit of a desperation move, and, and uh, it might be a good fade right now. They're heading to London next week, too. You mentioned uh, the injury situation with Houston, J.J. Watt out. How does that change their lines, if at all? Well, it, it it hasn't yet. I mean, they're playing the Browns. It hasn't yet, but I think it will. Uh, I think it will here over time. And it's, it, it's it's their top three defensive guys that are out. That that's the huge difference. They know what it's like to play without Watt. He was injured a bunch last year, so um, so they know how to do this. It hasn't moved yet, but I think it will. And I think right now is a good time to fade them. Okay, uh, also Odell Beckham Jr. is out for the rest of the season, and obviously the Giants are already 0-5. Did odds markets change at all based on his injury or any of the other wide receivers being hurt for the Giants? Yeah, the Giants are. Their whole, all of their wide receivers are up pretty much. Um, yeah, and they're up to, I think, 50-1 to 1 now. They, and, and I think that the market's just lost complete hope in them. When last, last week in their final drive, they were playing with uh, three tight ends in, in, at the wide receiver position, so they're in deep trouble. Indeed they are. John Campbell, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Thanks a lot, Clay. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. ESPN, this is an amazing story. ESPN has been defending protesters for for the past year, right? Turn on ESPN, people are like, oh, the protesters are heroes. Colin Kaepernick's the modern-day Rosa Parks. It's so brave to be a protester. It's so brave to be a hero, to be doing this, all those things. This is amazing. In the wake of their suspension of Jamel Hill, ESPN had protesters show up at their facilities in Connecticut. Get What do you think they did? They called police and had them kicked off of their facilities. So ESPN evicted protesters who showed up at their place of business, but they argue all day long on TV, NFL teams should expect protesting. And the quotes from ESPN PR are fantastic. They called police and they were called because protesters were blocking an ESPN driveway. Police told the, told the protesters they had to leave. A spokesman for ESPN said the company uh, wanted to ensure ESPN's normal business operations weren't interrupted. All right, I want to read that quote to you again because it's so incredibly ironic. A spokesman at ESPN said that they called police to pro- for the protesters because They wanted to ensure that ESPN's normal business operations weren't interrupted. Isn't that exactly what the NFL is trying to do here? Isn't the NFL trying to ensure that their normal business operations aren't interrupted by the protest? That's the exact same thing that ESPN is doing. The NFL is doing the exact same thing that ESPN has been doing, and ESPN has been ripping them for a year over their response to the protest. How ironic is this? How did this not set off amazing hypocrisy alarm bells in ESPN? It's because they've so lost their way, and the rest of sports media has followed them down the absurd rabbit hole of protesting stupidity that I think ESPN has become broccoli instead of ice cream, too. And this, these, these quotes that recent ESPN employees have set on the air are flat-out unbelievable. We haven't played you this yet. But I want you to hear this. Michelle Beadle has gone crazy. I used to like Michelle Beadle. She was funny. She was entertaining. I don't know what it is about social media and the election of Donald Trump, but it has driven some people totally crazy. Maybe it's because Twitter is an emotional realm and people don't respond well to people like me who use logic. Over and over again, I look at data and facts and I put them out on Twitter and I say, yes, you can have that opinion, but the data doesn't support it, and people lose their mind. They're like, but I feel like this. Well, I don't care about your feelings. I care about facts, and people have gone insane, including Michelle Beadle. I want you to listen to this clip. She's talking about the Cam Newton and uh, and the female reporter controversy, and somehow she ends up telling white people, white men who are watching ESPN to shut up and listen. 
I want you to listen to this. I heard this. You guys tweeted it to me. I was like, what in the world is going on where somehow white guys are to blame because Cam Newton wasn't respectful enough of a female reporter? Listen to this. This aired on ESPN, I believe, on Friday. We're playing it for the first time right here for you. Here's the issue, though. A lot of people heard what he said, and a lot of people saw zero wrong with it. And it's not even a defense thing. It's just a, oh, get over it. It's not that big a deal. Again, (laughs) not to stereotype, but I I hear a lot from white men on these topics. You guys have a lot to say about how black people should feel, about how women should feel. I gotta be honest with you guys. Shut up and listen for five minutes. Like, you, you will never know what I've been through, what he's been through, what anybody's been through. Just listen. God forbid you learn something. Are you, are you asking for I'm empathy? asking to listen. <laughs> like, that's are it. You, are you White people. Now. Moving on. Uh, video. Sorry, yeah, no. White men shut up and listen, said Michelle Beadle on ESPN. We have no idea what she's been through. I decided to look up Michelle Beadle's history. What has Michelle Beadle been through? Her dad is a multi-million dollar oil executive in San Antonio who got her her first job with the San Antonio Spurs through his connections. She went to the University of Texas Corpus Christi and posted a .7 GPA there. She got a job in sports media despite the fact that she has really no basis to have gotten the initial job that she got. And frankly, she's proven that she can't carry a show herself because she tried to leave ESPN, and nobody followed her to NBC, and then they fired her, and she went back to ESPN. And now I want you to think about this. If she had said to any other race and ethnic group, shut up and listen, she would have lost her job. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Bring in Jeff Schwartz now, and as we do, he's got a prelude. Donald Trump has tweeted... It is about time Roger Goodell of the NFL is finally demanding that all players stand for our great national anthem, respect our country. Uh, And Roger Goodell is saying that he wants all players to stand for the national anthem, according to a letter that went out uh, not very uh, long ago, yesterday, in fact, to all 32 NFL owners. So I want to start here. In retrospect, Jeff, do you wish that they had made a decision um, that we had that uh, that, that kind of goes on in general. Do you wish that we had the ability to go back in time and set in place the same rule that the NBA had, which is players all stand for the national anthem, and then this whole Colin Kaepernick protest had never happened? Would that be ideal if we could get into the Back to the Future machine with Doc and Marty McFly and have that rule implemented a couple of years ago so that immediately Colin Kaepernick is punished because he's violating the rules and maybe this whole story doesn't happen for the NFL? Well, he wouldn't even be punished. I don't think he would have done it if he if it was not allowed, right? I mean, no right. one in the NBA I mean, has, yet. has done it. No uh, one in the NBA all, has so. done it yet. And nobody points out the fact that the NBA has the rules specifically, which honestly which is, is probably really is forward-thinking, right? Be- people because are boycotting they- the NFL yes. because they, they, they are upset that – that Colin Kaepernick is not in the, in the NFL, but they don't care. The NBA doesn't allow anyone to protest. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I think it's an amazing fact that nobody has focused on that. To arguably, the NBA, whether it was David Stern, Adam Silver, whoever it was that sat down and came up with this idea, they were forward-thinking. You always hear as a lawyer when you're drafting a contract, try and think of the issues that could arise so that you solve them in this contract, right? That's always the discussion point when you draft a contract. It is make sure that you contemplate what issues might arise in the future. And most lawsuits that you end up happening are a function of that, right? They're a function of whether or not you end up with a situation that you couldn't have thought of. In this situation, I think the NBA needs to be uh, applauded here. They avoided anything like this ever happening by putting in a rule that says, hey, everybody stands for the national anthem. Look, I don't think the NFL ever thought it would get to this point. But look, here, here's the thing about it. Just currently, right, there were, there were six players in week two who knelt. It was almost a non-issue. And it was something that did not need to be addressed by the, by the league office. It's something that did not need to be addressed by the team owners. It was very few players doing it. Uh, and then there were other players who were, who were supporting, you know, guys, you know, like a Chris Long or, or Justin Britt, but they were all, they were standing, right? They were not, they were not taking a knee. 
Um, so it was six, six players in week two. Then Donald Trump has his SOB comment, and we get you know 200, and now it's 100, or, you know whatever the, the large number is. So it was almost a dead issue until until the president spoke about it. And now the president's going to take credit for this happening when in fact it it didn't need to happen, right? It, it happened because of him. Um, and that's I think the interesting part about this whole thing is it was I don't think people realize is it was almost a non-story before the president spoke. But it has been a story for the past year. And if they right, had but, just but if they could just go back where... in time and change the rule, I doubt that Colin Kaepernick ever would have done it. It's a great example uh, for I think regardless of what you do for a living of if you work at a business or you work in a company trying to think about things that might arise as opposed to trying to put a fire out once the fire already starts, right? To me, that's just an instructive lesson right. for business and also for management out there. If I were teaching a course right now, and I know a lot of people are going to college, uh, college classes, high school, teachers listen as they drive in. It's a great example even to throw out in a hypothetical essay question discuss the way that the NBA managed to avoid any anthem controversy by putting in a rule versus the NFL, which never had a rule particularly applying here, and how that could impact the overall brands. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe NFL, maybe NBA players are going to start to uh, protest the fact that the anthem that they're required to stand for the anthem. Maybe not. But so far, we haven't seen it at all in the NBA, and I think it's because the players sign contracts which require them to stand for the anthem. If you don't want to stand for the anthem, you don't have to play pro basketball. And I think that's probably going to end up being the argument in the NFL too. If you don't want to stand for the anthem, you can play football elsewhere. You don't have to play for an NFL team. And look, I I am for the players having the right to, to, to protest, but if the owners who run private companies want to put in rules but not allow that, then we have to respect that, right? I mean, we, if you still want to kneel, then you'll take the fine or whatever the punishment will be and, and move on. I mean, that's the way it works in a, in a private company. The, the you know, NFL is not a public company. It's not the government. Um, and so if they decide to do that, then we have to respect that. I'm sure players won't, won't like it. The one question I have, and this has not really been answered, and maybe I saw D. Smith put out a, a, a message, but I didn't read it. Um, is this something that will have to be collectively bargained, um, especially it comes from the league office rather than from the individual teams? Because it comes from the individual teams. It does not have to be bargained. But if this is something that comes from the league office, um, I wonder if this will have to be an agreement between the players and the PA, and they don't like each other. So I wonder how yeah. that's going to end up happening. So it, while Goodell it, says he he wants teams to he wants players to stand, if this has to be bargained for, then something you know there's going to have to be some sort of leverage um, given up by the NFL. And it's interesting because we don't have much leverage as players, and this is actually something that we do have leverage on. Um, and maybe we get something in return for this. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Now, there's prior history here, and what has happened in a prior history is back in the day when they initially implemented the personal conduct policy, the players didn't sign off on it. And this was one of my big issues. When Pac-Man Jones, Tank Johnson, and Chris Henry were all suspended for violating the personal conduct policy, the players did not sign off on it. And I believe I'm correct when Roger Goodell then made the punishment for domestic violence six games I don't think the players signed off on that either. It was him just kind of unilaterally saying, this is within right. my powers in the scope of my ability to, to, to kind of run the league. I don't, it's a good question. My bet would be that Roger Goodell, based on having done that in the past, will argue that this is within the scope of his powers for the league, that he's trying to act to ensure that the league does not have issues. And maybe, maybe frankly, if Roger Goodell's writing the letter that he is, again, if you don't know, Roger Goodell wrote a letter saying that the NFL believes all players should stand for the national anthem. My bet is that the television partners and the league sponsors, whether it's the beer companies, whether it's the advertising companies, uh, sorry, the the uh, whether it's the beer companies or whether yeah. it's the, uh, the auto companies or whatever it is, are letting Roger Goodell know that this is negatively impacting their business, and maybe he's going to use the best interest of the league framework. This is just my idea that he would use the best interest of the league framework and say, hey, we've got Geico. I'm just throwing it out there. We've got Geico and Ford and, uh, and, and AT&T and all these major league partners, DirecTV, and they're threatening that they're going to have to pull back on their sponsorship of the league. This could cost the, the revenue hundreds of millions of dollars. we got all these local sponsors that are upset. Our television ratings are down substantially. In the best interest of the game, I am now decreeing that everybody has to stand for the national anthem. I don't know if that will be the result, 
But I'm curious if there's any way, like what's the compromise? Maybe the compromise could be that if guys don't want to stand for the national anthem, they don't have to come out of the locker room till after the national anthem is already played. Maybe that's a compromise that would work. I don't know. There's a few players doing that now. But I think it's hard to fashion a compromise. Jeff, let's pretend that we're the great compromisers, right? We're the modern-day Henry Clay back in the Senate back in the day. What compromise could be reached here? You're a former player. How could you compromise with kneeling on the national anthem? The only thing I can think of is guys don't have to come out for the anthem if they have an issue with it, but there's no more kneeling in public where they can be seen by crowds and cameras. Well, 2009 was the first year where every NFL team was out for the anthem. Because I, I, when this whole thing started, I thought to myself, like, I don't remember ever coming out for the anthem. And we didn't do it in college. They still don't do it in college, right? The bands play your Col- favorite thing ever. Totally. College play. has avoided this controversy because yeah. they don't come out for the anthem. But they don't come out for the uh, invocation, right? Lots of colleges still do a prayer before yeah. games as well. And the players are never on the field for that. Right, and I think actually I think the Carolina Panthers are the only team that still does a prayer before the game. Um, but uh, that, that's a that's a that's a side note. When, you know, when you wonder why there was a couple weeks ago, Mr. Richardson met with the players because you know I think he's on board with what Jerry Jones wants wants to be done, and why no players have just the Panthers are a very conservative organization. It's just I don't think people kind of realize that at times. But um, nonetheless, I do think that that is the solution. I said this when when I when I saw the Steelers and the Titans and the Seahawks stay in the tunnel. Um, is that that would probably be the best of both worlds, where you don't you, you almost don't even have to have a rule. Just the rule is now you stay in the tunnel for the anthem, and then you don't have to worry about having a rule about not protesting because um, you're not even out there. Yeah, so I think I the wonder... challenge with that is I think people would say this is cheap of the NFL. I agree that that would be one solution. They're going to say no matter a, what. That would have been a solution before the actual crisis emerged, because now they'll say, "Oh, this is I'm just I'm just talking." Like, the response is going to be, if I were advising the NFL, I would say, I understand that you're going to try to avoid it that way. That's a solution you should have come up with before anybody started protesting because now fans are going to say, oh, this is ridiculous because a couple of people protested. Now no teams are going to come out for the national anthem anymore. So I don't think that's a solution that would work. I think that might make things arguably worse. So to me, the balancing act there is, if a guy doesn't want to stand for the national anthem, he stays in the locker room until the national anthem is over. Everybody else stands uh, in the national anthem on the field. I don't understand. I, I just get from a from a fan's perspective. I don't get why that's worse. Do you go to the game to watch the teams line up on the on no, the sidelines? No, but side I think it'll, it'll and, be. And they'll the notice I mean, now. They'll, they'll notice now, and it'll be like it'll well, be like Colin Kaepernick one. Now nobody comes out well, for the national now, anthem. Now it'll be now it'll be the Donald Trump one. So I mean, I guess it depends on who you like. Well, uh, I guess that's maybe true, but I think the vast majority of people are on Donald Trump's side in terms of players standing for the national anthem. And I don't think Roger Goodell would have sent this letter unless the NFL also believed that the vast majority of their fans believe players should stand for the national anthem as well. Well, to your point, I think it comes down to money. I think that advertisers... Everything comes down to money in this country. Um, advertisers Green is the most and important color. And, and it's possible... Look, this is also possible that Roger Goodell talked to D. Smith and says, look... This is what we're at right now. If we're losing money, you're losing money too. That's totally so, true. So this is where we're at. And look, I and you know, I think I think look, I think Goodell and the owners understand the players, um, what their message is, right? They don't. They know the message is not what what some people think it is about, right? Correct. They understand that. So, but I think the money is an, is an important thing. And if they go to D. Smith and say, "Look, we're losing X amount of money. The cap will go down next year. Things like that," then I think the players would be on board. For a solution and what that solution is, um, you know, to your point about the players not coming out, Julius Peppers with the Panthers decided not to come out. It was really a non-story. He just stayed in the, he stayed in the tunnel. It was covered in Charlotte. Um, I don't think it was a national story. You know, the 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 team came out, everyone stood. Pep just walked out after after the anthem and and they played the football game and it was covered here in Charlotte. It was barely covered in national level and. Everyone moved on. That's what I think would happen. If you allowed individual players to have the right not to come out for the national anthem, but you didn't give them the right to take a knee on the field in front of the cameras and get all the attention from doing it, I think also what you would find is that when nobody paid attention to them, individual players would all start to come out for the national anthem again. I think they'd start to be like, it's kind of weird to just stand back in the locker room by myself while everybody else is on the field. I'd rather jog out with my team. I think that's what you would find is that most of these protests would peter out because I do believe 
that a lot of it is predicated on the attention these guys are getting. And if they stop getting attention, then I think the amount of protest would continue to decline. All right, let's go to actual on-the-field results here because that's what you come on to talk about. Your brother's on the only undefeated team in the NFL. Are you with me that Alex Smith should be the MVP in the league through five weeks? 100%. His, his numbers against pressure are ridiculous. I mean, he's completing something like 85% of passes when he's getting pressure. And just the throw he made on, on Sunday night to Hill down the sidelines um, from the left hash all the way to the right sidelines, I had not seen him make that throw in years. And I don't know if it's if Pat Mahomes pushed him to be to be more of a down the field thrower, whether this is finally the offense that Andy Reid wants, and he's taking the shots within the offense. But he has to be the MVP. I mean, even if you watch Sunday night, he was he was escaping out of the pocket um, and and using his legs to set up a lot of third down, third and long passes, pass completions. I mean, they their their efficiency, their DVOA number is off the charts. I mean, they're they're a lot of fun to watch and. You know, for me, being a Chiefs fan, my brother plays for them. I played for the Chiefs. I followed them since I left. Um, you know, you keep you keep waiting for Alex Smith to have an Alex Smith game. You know, where he throws 180, you know, for 180 yards, and it's kind of ugly. But he really hasn't had one of those. And as long, if he keeps playing this way, I don't know how how Andy Reid's not the coach of the year. Um, I don't know how Alex Smith is not the MVP, and Hunt is not is not the rookie of the year. You said you were going to look at the Dallas Cowboy offensive line. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz, eight-year NFL veteran. He joins us every single Wednesday in hour two. You said you were going to look at the Dallas Cowboy offensive line and try to figure out why they were not as effective this year so far as they were last year. Did you find any answers? What's happening? Yeah, it, to me, it comes down to efficiency. You know, they're 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 about the same yards per carry they were last year, but they're running the ball seven attempts less than they were last season. Um, and when and they, they had a drive against the Rams just a few weeks ago that kind of shows the inconsistency in their offensive line. They had a great run. They ripped off a 15-yard run into pressure. All the guys zoned the pressure off, got up to the second level, did a great job, and, the, and you know, the next run play, the left guard gets, uh, gets cleanly beat by a linebacker. He whiffed. The, the, the next play, the center and, and the right guard, two great players, two all pros, get split on double team. The very next play, the left guard gets beat on a pass, Dak has to step up. The right tackles man sacks him, and Dez was wide open on third and five, probably scored a touchdown. So that's like a sequence right there in the red zone where they didn't really have those problems in years past, where all five guys were kind of always on the same page up front. Now a couple guys here and there miss a block, and it just it gets off the rails. But, you know, they, they got back going against the Packers. The Packers aren't, aren't that special on defense. Um, but they just have to get back to what, they, to what they do well, which was run the ball and run more often. They went from 31 attempts to 24 and then play-action pass. Dak is really good in play-action pass. They really haven't done very much of that this year. Do you think Aaron Rodgers is the most talented guy to ever play quarterback in NFL history? Yes, and I have a video coming out on Friday on SBNation.com about Aaron Rodgers and why he's the best to ever do the two-minute drill. Um, his, he's the best thrower of the football uh, of all time. Um, just purely the way he's you know, that, that part of his game. Um, the throws he makes just with the flick of a wrist, and the only spot where a wide receiver can catch the ball, the throw he want, he made to win the game um, was in the only spot that Adams could catch the ball without any attempt by the Cowboys' defensive back to make the play. Um, when you see Rodgers roll to his left, which he does often, a lot of teams think he'd roll right. He's a right-handed quarterback. He rolls left, sets his feet up, and just flicks the ball anywhere he wants. I mean, I'm, I was looking at film, you know, last year, against the, the Bears, Jordy Nelson caught that ball at the end of the game. Rodgers threw the ball 61 yards in the air after he rolled to his left. So he, wasn't, he didn't even step into the throw. He just flicked his wrist 61 <laughs> yards. So he's a remarkable talent. I think, he, I think he actually wins the MVP this year when it's all said and done. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz. What's it like? You've been in a lot of those two-minute drives. Almost every team in the NFL there would have been like, okay, let's go get a field goal and put this game into overtime. Aaron Rodgers is like, screw that. We're trying to go win the game right now. What's that feeling like when you have a supremely talented quarterback in control at the end of the game like that? Well, you know, I think for an offense, it's it's just about confidence. And I knew, like, when I when I played with Eli Manning and we got in the two-minute drill and, and we had a couple games where, where we did well in offense to end the game, you know, you just you, you, you look at him and you know that he's, he's got the situation handled where he's going to complete the ball, he's going to get out on time, he's going to hook you guys up with protection, um, he's going to do everything possible to, to score, and that's the same way with with Rodgers. He gets in the huddle; those guys know I just just give him a little bit of time, and he'll make he'll make some magic. 
And I like how the Packers seem to always be aggressive at the end of games. They don't always settle for field goals. I think a lot of teams get in that situation and just say, hey, we're going we're gonna to pack it in. We'll run twice, take a field goal, go to overtime. They are not that way. They always strive for a touchdown. I think that's because Rodgers is so talented. And that back shoulder, that back shoulder throw, the one he does best, um, it's, not even, it's almost not even a back shoulder throw. I mean, the, the throw he made the other day was just a fade route. He just threw it over the, 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 the DB's head. It wasn't to the back shoulder. Um, and those type of throws only he can make, and you can trust him to not turn the ball over in that situation. And that's why the Packers are always aggressive in any game situations. Outstanding stuff. Look forward to that article up on SB Nation. We'll talk to you next week, Jeff. Yeah, take care. Thank you. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.